Well, let's go ahead and pray. Father, um, we're so glad to be here, and I just pray that uh, you would just speak to us in the way we need to be spoken to, to those of us that need to be able to rejoice, that we would find opportunity to rejoice, and for those of us that are coming in heavy-hearted, that we would find you there caring for us, because you do care. Um, And so I just pray that wherever we're at, we would meet you, that we'd be encouraged by the brotherhood of believers. And and God, we just thank you for having a church. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. If you'll turn with me, we're in uh, 1 Peter. And the title of today is Preaching the Announcements, because I couldn't figure out what the heck this whole chapter, how to pull it together. Linda has the middle school in here, and they always have a hot word that they're supposed to listen for. And she bugged me all week for the hot word, and I never even came up with one. So I think she made up like a bunch of words they could listen for, like and and the, and I don't know. But it, it, it's kind of, Peter goes off on this just conversational chapter of, of just taking his thoughts and his feelings and what's going on. And and, and after he's been kind of real picky and choosy with his words, he just runs off and starts talking to people. And, and we end up in a couple different places. And we could really shorten it down and just talk about one little chunk and really, like, tear it to pieces. But it, it just seems like conversationally is more where Peter's at. So I didn't really know how to frame it. And then I remembered this message I heard by this really large inner-city pastor. And um, he was kind of... Th- having this thundering message to pastors, and he was telling them that sometimes you need to preach the announcements. And I think he was saying, like, if you're going to march on a liquor store in your, your block in the inner city, you know, you need to preach, you know, that announcement for the whole service. And, but that phrase, preach the announcements, always kind of stuck with me. And, and as I was looking through it, I kind of chuckled because a lot of these little different pieces fit with where we're going and some of the things we're doing. And so I kind of called the sermon today, preaching the announcements, because we're we're seeing some things that Peter's admonishing us towards. And then there's some things going on at Antioch that, that we're just going to tie into it. So, preaching the announcement. So, chapter 3 of First Peter, beginning in verse 8. Beginning in verse 8. And so, we're coming off of a whole lengthy discussion of submission, getting on with people, getting along with people, just letting stuff go, just coming um, in alignment and just being able to show others something good about God by how we live our lives. We're coming off that whole discussion, and here's what Peter says. He says, finally, after all that discussion, all of you live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic, love as brothers, be compassionate and humble. And do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but rather with a blessing. Because to this you were called, so that you may inherit a blessing. Live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic. Love as brothers. The, the word harmony here is actually a conjunction of words, and it means literally same think. Same think. And it's having the same mind and kind of being able to come along and and have the same truth so that you guys can, can walk hand in hand. And I think it's something we miss a lot. That being able to reflect the unity that God desires for the church to a large degree hinges on us being committed to truth. 
We all have to have an equal commitment to come to truth and to come back to Scripture and to submit to that authority. And as we do, we come into alignment, and that's really important. We have to have same think. And one of our, our slogan is truth, beauty, meaning, and adventure. And truth is up front for a reason. It's important. And I think we forget it because it's, it's not an action so much. It's, it's not like a goal. You know, truth isn't a hill you climb and then jump up and down at the top. It's just a commitment or a value or something that's a, a part of every day. And, and so we lose sight of it. I think that, unfortunately, in the church these, these days, it's, remember the movie Castaway? Tom Hanks, Castaway, you know, he crashes on the desert island and he ends up getting this volleyball and he calls it Wilson and Wilson becomes his best friend. And when Tom Hanks is getting off the island, he, he's on this raft and he brings Wilson with him and out in the middle of the ocean, he gets so tired, so dehydrated, he falls asleep and the gentle kind of motion of the waves, all of a sudden Wilson you know, goes into the ocean and starts to float away. The ball, Wilson, starts to float away. There's, was it Wilson, uh, was it Home Improvement? There was another Wilson. Yeah, but this one's a ball, okay? And so it starts floating away. And Tom Hanks wakes up and he's exhausted and he starts looking for Wilson. And then, you know, way out there, he sees Wilson floating and he grabs this rope and so that he can kind of get back to the boat. And he jumps off and he goes after Wilson. And he's swimming for Wilson, swimming for Wilson. And he gets to the end of the rope. And Wilson's still about 10 feet away. And, and Wilson's kind of his best friend. And so he lets go of the rope. And he's kind of in between the two. And he's so exhausted, so tired, so dehydrated. And, and you see in his mind this realization that if I go after Wilson, we're going to go down together. Or I have to grab hold of that rope I just let go of and, and pull myself back to the boat um, because if I don't grab it now, I'm not going to get back. And I think that rope is, is like truth for us. And I think sometimes we get so caught up with, with big ideas that we have or, or people we want to connect with or relate with it, things we're chasing, and we get all the way out there, and we kind of say, you know, if I would just let go of a little bit of truth or, or Christian distinctives, then I could just swim that extra 10 feet and, and get Wilson. And we can't do that. We have to grab hold of truth. That's the rope. That's, that's the boundaries. It's who we are. And we have to pull ourselves back in. And Jesus always corrected the false notions of his day. He didn't create new ones. He took them back to Scripture and said, you're misinterpreting it. Truth is here. Truth hasn't changed. I'm not making it up. This is truth, and you have to come back to it so that we can, can same think and be in harmony and have unity. And Peter, we're going to see as we move through this passage, quotes a ton of Old Testament Scripture. He's just continuously quoting Old Testament scripture. And Paul does the same thing. And what you begin to realize is when they're talking doctrinally or or talking theologically, they ground it in Old Testament truth. They're standing on a foundation. They're not just creating something. Um, They're drawing it out to its conclusions. It's important that we, we think the same. And so it says, be in harmony with one another. It says also, be sympathetic in love 
be compassionate and humble. And it's really talking about the Christians here. And I think there's, uh, I began to realize this week, a need for the health of Christians as we're living together in harmony. There's a huge need for that. I I was uh, at the doctor's office on Thursday and my kidneys aren't working for some reason. Um, and I'm sitting there waiting for blood to get drawn. And I'm just like, that's really strange. I'm like 35 and... And that's kind of a big deal. Maybe it would be good if they worked for me. Uh, and all of a sudden you begin to realize I'm so focused on doing that I never really realized that the integrity of the body, the health of the body, the interworking of the body is a prerequisite for really being able to act well. Does that make sense? And I think, I think Antioch as a body or as a church, we need to really understand this. We're so excited about doing big things in this world for God, making a difference, making a dent. It's the adventure that we're all kind of on. We don't want to be just an institution or an organization. We want to be a movement. We want to be dynamic. We're so focused on this doing. But the ability to do is going to come from the health of this body, the integrity of this body, the the connectedness of this body. Does that make sense? So this summer at Antioch, we decided that just as in families, you kind of cycle down in the summer and come together and relationships are important and fun is important, that at Antioch this summer, we were going to call it, well, we couldn't decide. It was either fun or community. And so then we thought of like community um, and, and like all sorts of different words that way. But the idea is that we just want to come together as a church and you're probably sitting out there and, and maybe you've been here six months and you're like, I don't know anyone. I'm not connected. I'd like to be. Well, that's kind of the goal is we're going to be doing all these barbecues and, and other types of events. And hopefully you'll take the initiative to just introduce yourself to somebody. Grab somebody and have lunch with them after church. But we want to come together as a body so that there's health here when we actually go and try and do some things. And so along that lines of community and fun, the biggest thing that we want you to do is to sign up for family camp. Family camp is where it's at. Um, there's like going to be celebrities there, I've heard, and other sorts of cool things. And so uh, by way of preaching the announcements, there's some people that are going to come up. I think we're going to watch a video clip, and then there's some people that are going to come up and talk to us just a little bit about family camp. So if I've got it right. Good morning, everybody. My name is Brandon, and um, this is Paul. 
Paul was the blob-er, the guy who did that. And so um, that doesn't just happen. You don't just walk up and blob. So, Paul, what kind of training have you been doing to uh, duplicate that this year? Well, for the first six months after family camp, I actually found myself journeying to the Alps. I actually trained running, doing a little base jumping, Pictionary, keeps the mind right. Also, came back last two months, I was living with a couple WWF wrestlers. I think that was more for pain. Way too many memories on that one. And then also, um, every day for six hours, I've been training on a trampoline, perfecting the moves necessary for that right there. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Um, so you're up there, you're on the platform, you're going to elevate up about 15 feet. What's mentally where are you at at that moment? Oh, man. Most people don't know this is a profession. I mean, there's a small community in about four or five, but mind-wise, oh, my goodness. I'm sitting up there. Our members, I mean, we have Bloblicious. We have Blob and Robin. Those are going through my mind. And Blog, yeah. I, honestly, the other one that comes up is I'm trying to figure out what slip and slide I want to hit this weekend. Honestly, it's, 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 it's intense. It is. It sounds intense. Really? Yeah. And then uh, this year, family camp, who are you really looking forward to seeing at the end of the blob? Who are you visualizing? Where is he? Oh, uh, okay. First one is Kip. I've heard that he's got a nickname. It's Houdini Jones. How does he do it? Then there's also Guy Gleason. I don't know. You know, I can't compete with both of them up here, but just because he's Guy, I really want to. And there's one other. And um, it's Mary Joy. She's got to be, what, four, 45 pounds at the most? Yeah. Point to the bleachers. Well, Paul, I know um, you've got some training to do that your helicopter's waiting in the parking lot. I know you're heading back to the Alps until August 1st to meet us out there for family camp. So appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule, and um, we'll, we'll let you get to it. Appreciate it. Thanks. All right. Good. All right. So August 1st, 2nd, and 3rd out at Camp Tadmore is Antioch's second family camp. We hope everybody can make it. Blob is going to be happening. There's also going to be mountain biking, paintballing, um, kids hotel where you can drop your kids off for a little bit and um, walk around the lake um, or take a kid with you, whatever. Um, it's going to be a great time. Really hope everybody signs up. As Ken was saying earlier, it's that perfect place to go and Make uh, new friends, but then also um, keep some old friendships going. And so unplug from uh, the world for a weekend and get away with the church family. It's called family camp. It doesn't mean you have to have 2.5 kids, a golden retriever, and a minivan. Um, It's the whole family of Antioch. So we're hoping everybody can show up. We've got 94 people signed up as of today. We're hoping to get 150 and um, really have a good time. So if you have any questions or you need to sign up, I'll be out in the hallway afterwards. And um, again, it's going to be a great weekend. Those of you who went last year, I'm sure you'll um, be back. And cabins are filling up quick. So if you want a cabin, um, it might cost you a couple extra 50 bucks, but we can work that out between you and I. So thanks, guys. The, uh, it, we're taking signups online, and it's worth the money. So if you look at it, 
I mean, just kind of factor in how much you'd spend on food, how much you'd spend on the movies if you stayed in town. Uh, it's worth the money. We're really hoping that everybody could go. I think our target is 150 people, and we're at around 90 or something like that right now. So if you can, sign up. Uh, let's get 150 people out there. And as we continue along, preaching the announcements, uh, um, do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing, because to this you are called, so that you may inherit in blessing. What, what Peter's saying here is uh, it's okay to suffer for doing good. And now he quotes Psalms, beginning in verse 10, and he says this, For whoever would love life and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from deceitful speech. He must turn from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. And then he goes on and kind of concludes it. But who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? So Peter is saying, do good. I mean, just go out there and no matter what's coming your way, insults, evil people, people that are just bent on ruining you, bad things, whatever's coming your way, it doesn't matter if it's unjust. Just just do good. Return good for it. And last week we were talking about submission and husbands and wives and things like that. And one of the ideas with submission is it's easy to submit to things you like. It's hard to submit to things that aren't fun or you don't like. And here's a book called Taxi Driver Wisdom. It's Tim Harden gave it to me. It's, it's uh, wisdom from taxi drivers in New York City. So it's pretty profound. Um, and I like this one. It says, women choose who they love the most. Men choose who loves them the most. Maybe it's a knock on men, but um, we're not supposed to choose those that love us the most. We're just supposed to love. We're supposed to do good. It's not what's coming to us that should generate what's going out. Grace, what God gave us in Christ Jesus, grace begets grace. Love begets love. Kind of what we get ought to be what we reflect and reproduce. And by way of that, last week someone came up afterwards and said, I should have used the Ken Hutchison quote. Um, and Ken Hutchison, Hutchinson has a church up in Seattle. He's a really, um, another one of those big, huge guys. And he defines women submitting this way or wives submitting this way. He says, it's, it's basically shorthand for, um, God saying, I want you to duck so I can get a clear shot at the husband, you know? Um, and that's, you know, Mother's Day, you get flowers on Father's Day, you know, you get slapped. It's, it's. That's how it goes, you know. But the idea is, is we're supposed to really get on with people and not demand justice. It's okay to suffer for doing good. And Peter's talking to a minority group. It's as if you're a Christian living in a Muslim country right now. You're so outnumbered. You're so different. You're so odd. And people don't understand you. You're a stranger. You don't fit in. You stick out and, and insults are coming, weird things are coming. And he's saying, in that intense situation, respond in a positive way. We don't live in that situation. Whatever wedding you go to, funeral you go to, beginning of a whatever event, I mean, there's like always a prayer, there's always scripture, there's always something that has this semblance of a Christian culture. It's getting less and less, but it's still there. So how do we live this out? How do you live this out? 
And it's basically who is that person or, or who's that group or what's that environment or, or just what is it that you're really upset with? You just can't let it go. It's, it's this, this thing that you have to reconcile before you can move on. They have to be proven wrong. They have to be labeled. I have to win or other people need to see. And when it's finally reconciled and it's finally where it's supposed to be, then I can finally move on because this is wrong or they are wrong or he or she is wrong and it's bad and I'm good. And so I, I can't move on. I can't let it go. And, and Peter's saying, let it go. It's okay, let it go. And you know why we don't let it go? We don't let it go because of our insecurities. And this is, this is talking about me. I think, I think the word insecurity and the word pride are the exact same word. I think they're the same word. Because here's how this goes. Um, if a bunch of people don't like me, but I'm, but I'm right, I'm really right, they don't understand me or they've got just half the facts or something like that. I have such an innate desire to go and talk about that situation with everybody I know. Because that way, if I can just tell my side of the story and they understand all the facts, they'll begin to realize that I'm suffering even though I'm the good one. And when they finally all realize that so that my honor or my my glory or my name won't be tarnished, they'll actually turn around and realize that Ken's really hot stuff because look at what he's having to endure. When I finally protect myself from people maybe getting the wrong idea, then I'll move on. Why? Because I'm really insecure. I, I don't want people to think less of me. I don't want them to get the wrong idea. So this situation might cause that to happen. So I have to stay here and work and work and talk to as many people as I I can and and get the word out until it finally is at the point where I'm protected. I'm guarded. I'm not going to go down in people's eyes. And then I can move on. When there's finally justice to me or to my name, I'm willing to get on with people. That's not what Peter's saying. It's not the example that Jesus had. You trust yourself to God. You let Him handle your your problems. You don't defend. You don't try and always provide explanations. You don't always have to run around in politic. It's, It's okay. God sees. And it says that we do this. Why? Because to this we're called so that we might receive a blessing. We don't have to guard our own lot in life, our own pot of gold, our own treasure that, that might be you know, tweaked with, with people. God's going to bless us if we just listen and do right. So I don't have to, to, to pause here at this rest stop and fix it. I can just get on with doing what God's called me to do. So pride and insecurity, it's the same word to me. The people that are really humble, humility doesn't get injured the same way. You can't injure humility the same way you can pride. Humility is not worried or concerned with protecting itself the same way pride is. And so the humble person just says, you know what? I've probably done the same thing to other people or such is life or geez, you know, if that's as bad as it gets, that's okay. I mean, just imagine how much worse it could be. Humility is amazing. It, it just moves on. It just gets on. And that's what Peter's talking to us about. I think there's other ways in which we do this that are kind of more subtle. I, I 
prayed last night and, and got 100% right with this sermon and became the model for this. And, uh, you know, I've been eating a lot of punches lately, you know, I've been learning how to turn the other cheek and, and so I kind of just like, you know, yeah, um, this is me and I'm, I'm good at this and so I can preach it. Um, it's, it's really crazy story. So, uh, last night I'm, I'm really spiritual and I go to bed and, and, and I'm not going to return insults. I don't have to explain everything to everyone. I'm, I'm not defending myself, you know, anymore the way I used to and, and stuff like that. So then this morning we're going on vacation, you know, um, so this morning's pretty crazy, pretty nuts. We're leaving straight from church. So that means that the whole car had to be packed, all this other stuff. And so my, my, my blood's beginning to boil at every little thing and, you know, getting more and more stressed because you know how that goes. And so we, 20 minutes late, get in the car to come to church and the car's all packed and the kids are finally in and I go to turn the key and the battery's dead, right? Battery's dead. It's not, it's not just, it's not right, it's not fair. I did everything right. I'm, I've been working hardest in my whole family. I, I, actually, I think Tamara did it all. But, but I mean, I'm, I have that guy thing. Guys, guys will stress and do nothing and we think we're working. It's really, I, I mean, it's a really weird thing, you know. But, you know, I go to turn the key and it's the last straw because it's just not what's supposed to happen. It's not right. And I'm, I'm righteous and it's not right. So I immediately turn and I, I yelled at my three kids. Which one of you turned the light on? <laughs> it turns out none of them had turned, turned the light on and it was me with the tailgate and all that. But, but I mean, I yelled at my kids. Who turned the light on? Who's playing? And I, I just barked at them and they've, they've got these big eyes and it's like, oh no, the vacation demon is coming out. And, <laughs> And its name is Legion and, and, you know, dad's possessed again, you know, this vacation thing that happens to dads, you know, and, and, and we start driving and I just was like, it's like knife in my guts. It's going to take me three days to repair my relationship with my kids, you know, from screaming at them. And, and I realized, you know, that's that situation again. We, we think that we've earned the right to vent at people. Or to vent in certain situations. Or, or to just be reckless with our emotion because we didn't do anything wrong. And so I think it's easy sometimes to label that, that enemy. You know, that person that's always talking bad about you. Or, or saying things about you. I mean, it's easy to label that thing and to, you pray about it all the time. And, and you begin to kind of box it in and handle it. But there's a lot of situations that go on in life. The economy right now, that's not just, is it? I mean, we're victims, right? And so we can kind of entitle ourselves in different situations, your health going bad or, or someone treating you a certain way in your family and it shouldn't be. And there's a lot of different situations that it's easy for us to say, this isn't what ought to be happening. It shouldn't be happening. Therefore, all bets are off. I'm just going to vent. My emotions are just going to come out. And it's in those things that we can really shine in those situations, how we handle those problems, how we choose to respond. I think I had one good week this way back in college. And, 
and it was when I was like a new believer. And my car got towed, and, and it was like all this craziness going on. And I was around these people in the fraternity, a bunch of friends, and they just were like, oh, my goodness, I can't believe this is happening to Ken. And I was just like, oh, it's no big deal. I mean, what, am I going to let that ruin, you know, everything else that's going on? I've got a bigger attitude than that. And I still remember that moment just seeing all these faces of people looking at me like, what's happened to Weitzma? You know, he's gone and got religious. And, and I think that's what Peter's saying, is whatever the situation, especially when it's unjust, especially when you didn't deserve it, Especially when people are like, oh boy, that really sucks. How's he going to respond? How's she going to respond? It's in those moments. Those moments that you can control your emotions and choose your response and shine. And just show people, man, this person's gone and found Christ. They're different. And listen to what it says in this. It's crazy. It says, these people, these righteous people that seek peace and pursue it. They're trying to, it doesn't matter how many rough edges there are, they're trying to meld everything together and bring peace. Blessed are the peacemakers, said Jesus, remember? These people who seek peace and pursue it, the eyes of the Lord are on these righteous people, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. It's amazing, I think, I think we turn into prayer a lot of these crazy, unjust situations and and all these emotions, and what's crazy is, if, if we would just center ourselves and say, you know what, Christ suffered so much more than this and he set me an example of how I can endure unjust suffering. And we go to that, we go to God with that. It, the Bible teaches us, it talks about it, the, you know, prayers of a righteous man are powerful and effective in the book of James. There's a ton of passages that talk about the way you're living your life correlates with your, your prayers actually being answered. Isn't that crazy? And I, I, I thought about that one time, and I was like, man, is that, does that make sense to me? And I analyzed it with my own kids. And, and if you're a parent, think about it with your kids. When you're going to bless them and encourage them and affirm them and, and, and grant requests, even if it's ice cream and they, they don't need any sugar today or, or whatever it is, when is that going to happen? It's when you're going to see the fruit of their life and, and how they're choosing to treat other people and their siblings and how they're obeying you and how they're getting it and how they're kind of just doing this thing, not in a, with attitude or with complaining or whining, but, but you see something and it brings a smile to your face and you're so excited to like, you know, I'm going to buy you that ice cream. Or you need help with that? Let me help you with that. And God's the same way. He delights to affirm and encourage and bless us when we're acting in a way worthy of blessing. When you're a school teacher, is it the kid that's, that's like blowing spit wads that you start affirming? Or the kid that's actually sitting there quiet and, and handling themselves in the way that they should? It's that kid. You, that's the behavior you want, so you affirm it. Yes, more of that. More of that. And our prayers actually get heard when we act like this. That's why we come to church. This is the announcement part. We come to church because we want to sing. Why do we want to sing? Why do we want to talk about Scripture? Why do we want to be with other believers? Because this task that we're called to is something we have to be reminded about. 
We have to be reminded, oh, that's right, I shouldn't have yelled at my kids. You know, this is what God is talking about. I need to work hard. I have to labor to be the right kind of person with the right kind of responses. And it's difficult right now. I want to talk to God about that. Or, wow, I did really good today. And I want to rejoice about that in the presence of God in song and be excited with other people. Everything kind of comes back to the congregation being assembled before God. And we we sing. Why do we sing? We sing because that's how we talk to God. It's one of the ways... that we pray. That's really why we sing. If you're ever coming to church, why do, why do, people, why do Christians sing? It's the, that phrase in the Psalms about sing a new song to God. It, it's saying take the emotions that are going on, what's really happening with, with your context and your group and your people, Antioch Church, your family, whatever, and put it into language that really expresses that felt emotion. Put, put it into new words, a new song, and sing it to me, because I want to connect with you. I want to have a relationship with you, and so that's why we sing. Next Sunday, we're going to do a lot more singing than we normally do, and there's going to be a couple more testimonies. And come just ready to sing and to talk to God and, and to have it be a new song and just to, just to say, man, God, I can't do this alone. This grace that I'm supposed to show, I don't have it in me. Grace begets grace. I need your love. I need your example. I need your acceptance. I need you to fill me up if I'm going to do this. And so so I'm coming. Fill me up. Fill me up. So next Sunday, there's going to be more worships. Hopefully, you guys will look forward to that. And then just hearing more stories of people in this church. Now, as we move along, it says this, beginning in verse 13. Again, it, it concludes, who is going to harm you if you're eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. One, one more thing about this walking away thing. It, it's kind of stuck in my mind, but it's this image. And there's a saying that says, if, if you wrestle with a pig, you both get dirty. If you wrestle with a pig, you both get dirty. And so this thing of saying that pig... <laughs> is dirty and it's wrong. And I have to go prove it to him and to the world that he's wrong. If you wrestle with a pig, you both get dirty. Just walk away. Trust God. But if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. And then he quotes Isaiah here. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior may be ashamed of their slander. Well, that's a mouthful right there. In Isaiah, it's, it's a crazy passage. I'll read it to you. I lost my Bible last week. I thought someone stole it at church, but I actually found it today where I left it. I was, I was praying like curses upon somebody in Antioch that didn't need to be here or something. Um, I'm just kidding. You know what? I, I moved my marker. Jiminy. Uh, the, the context in Isaiah here is it's this crazy thing of the people, the Israelites, are afraid of the times and what's going on. They're, they're afraid of the cultural things happening around them. And what they don't even realize is that God's at work to kind of discipline Israel. And so Isaiah is kind of in this unique bird's eye position. 
to say it's foolish to fear what these people are fearing because it's not about this world. See, God is doing a work in us to say our focus isn't about this worldly things, but our focus is about other worldly things. And so if we're getting caught up and losing sleep over worldly things, we're not really understanding what God's trying to do in our life. And so even sometimes the the stuff going on here is to kind of help pry us free so that we focus on the stuff over here. This life that we've got here in Bend, Oregon or whatever for for the 80, 90 years that we're here, it's not the ballgame. That's not where God's really putting his energy and trying to work. He's wanting to prepare you to do spiritual stuff about your eternal life. And it's going to get on to that the next time we, we talk in First Peter. And so in Isaiah, it's this crazy thing of these people being afraid. And, and it's, it's God saying, don't be afraid of what those people are afraid about. Whether it's Hillary Clinton or McCain or Obama or Ron Paul or, or whoever it is. That's not the biggest issue going on. Whether it's the economy or whether it's the environment or whether it's, you know, whatever else, it's not the biggest thing going on. Don't obsess about these things. Don't be afraid of these things. Put your your eyes on what God's trying to do in the spiritual world and in your life because that's more important. And so it says you live differently. You don't count every cent. You you don't hoard, you don't fight and compete with people because even if they win, guess what? It, there's, there's a bigger thing going on over here. So that's what's happening. And when that happens, this is what Peter says. When, when, you, when you've separated, this is what it means by to, to set apart Christ as Lord. It's kind of to make him holy in your life. That You've taken Jesus, he's not a common thing in your life. You've set him apart as holy from the rest of the common things in your life, and you're now acting because of this. And it's going to be different. So people are going to say, well, what's going on? Why are you acting like that? That's crazy. It's ludicrous. I don't understand it. And now you're a middleman, and you're like, okay, let me explain to you why I'm acting this way. Because I've set Christ over here, which is changing the whole flow of my life, and, and this is why I'm doing this. This, this is the hope that I have. Everything I do is motivated by this. And so my actions that you just see the fruit of, let me tell you what's really driving it. It's Christ over here, and, and I want to show you that. This, this phrase, this verse, but in your heart set apart Christ as Lord, always be prepared to give an answer to a- everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. That text is a really famous text. It's one of those you know, little verses that's pretty famous that gets pulled out of the Bible. And it's famous for this reason. The word defense there is, in Greek is apologia, where we get the word apologetics. And basically it means working to give a defense for something. When Paul was brought before kings and he's defending his Christian faith, he's doing apologetics. He's giving them rational answers for things that are going on. And so this verse undergirds a whole discipline, a whole, a whole study, intellectual study called apologetics. Why do we believe in the resurrection? Why do we believe that the Bible is the word of God? Why do we believe that there's a heaven? Why do we believe certain things and given a rational explanation for those? And I think we have a problem here. We have a problem because when we take that verse out, here's what it makes us do it. We load up with like, anyone seen The Matrix? 
we load up with like all these guns and hand grenades and and all sorts of crazy stuff and we're sitting there and we got like a Rambo bandana on and it's just like come and ask me a question I got an answer for you you know just come on somebody come ask me a question Clint Eastwood you know go ahead make my day and 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 you're not going to know what hit you I'm I'm so loaded up I'm armed to the teeth so come ask me a question. And, and what I've found is the guys that are so far off the deep end this way, no one asks them a question about anything. No one even likes them. <laughs> Have you ever met Christians that are just not likable? I heard a good story. I don't know if I've already shared this, but when I was down, I had a meeting with a pastor in Southern California, and he was sharing how this is his biggest frustration. And he had this college student that's a Christian come to him and say, you know, all the kids in my class... Um, are annoyed with me because I'm a Christian. And, and he said to her, you know, in his mind, um, they're not annoyed with you because you're a Christian. They're annoyed with you because you're annoying. Because <laughs> I'm a Christian and you annoy me. It has nothing to do with the Christianity. But I think sometimes these people that are like all armed to the teeth, they, they don't have any friends, you know. And it doesn't mean that apologetics is bad. It means that you're doing some really wacky stuff that doesn't make any sense. I did something for someone in town last week, and, and I didn't even know what I... Usually when I do good, I, actually, I accidentally do it. That's kind of how it happens with me. But I, I gave some things to this lady that knew I was a pastor, and she's really into metaphysical, just spirituality. There is no such thing as truth. Hardcore. And all her best friends in town are the people that are that are prominent people that believe that way. And I went in and was being nice to her and gave her some things, and I was just ready to walk out, just going about my day. And she just looked at me and she says, what kind of a pastor are you? And it's just like, and the first thing I thought, I hate that word, pastor. And then I actually thought of what she was saying, and I was like, wow, that's an interesting question. And then she asked me about Antioch. What kind of a church is that? That doesn't, doesn't sound like anything I've ever heard of. And I didn't give her one single, like, logical, rational, philosophical argument. And it taught me something. When they ask you to give them an answer or a reason for the hope that you have, why you, why you live so strangely? Why do you do things that nobody else would do? You say, you know, um, because this relationship I have with Christ is real. It's, it's not just a self-help, feel-good thing for me. There's, there's truth. And when I pray, it's amazing. God meets me and answers my prayers. And when I take my junk to him, he actually says it's okay and smiles and loves me like a father and cleans me back up and sends me out into the world. I understand what grace is. And I'm so excited to try and imitate that just a little bit, like kids imitate their parents or older people. I, I, I actually go around getting excited trying to imitate that. And, and, and that's what I'm doing. And it, and it brings me joy to see you get happy. And, and so I've set apart Christ as Lord and it's driving what I'm doing. And as you're asking, this is really what's going on. It's my story. Now, I think apologetics are huge. I think rational defense of Christianity is huge. And I think those conversations will lead into things like, but what do you do with, there's a lot of different holy books out there. Or people don't just rise from the dead, do they? Well, no, they don't. That's why it's called a miracle. Um, there's, there's answers that we're going to come up with. And I think this, this good life that we, we live, 
it needs to be framed in so that people can digest it and understand it. And there's another saying that art needs a frame. Art needs a frame. And, and Peter's saying when you live a life that's righteous, it's artwork. It's beautiful. Be ready because you're going to need to frame that for people. You can just frame it in for them so they understand that you set apart Christ in your life that's holy. And so here's the announcement part. In November, we're doing an apologetics conference. And we're going we're gonna, to, a bunch of guys in town actually and myself got together a year ago. And we decided, let's do an apologetics conference. So we got three seminary professors coming with diff- from different disciplines up to do this. It's pretty wild to have all that in Central Oregon. And so I, I you know, these guys and myself were talking about it. And here's the ironic thing is, now a year later, all these guys that went to different churches, they all go to Antioch. So now it's, I guess, kind of an Antioch thing. It used to be a, not an Antioch thing. So, so they all go, and it's, all these people go to Antioch, and it's kind of cool. And we value truth, and we value thinking through these things. And so if you value that too, come November, there's going to be this apologetics conference. And it's going to be exciting, and it's going to be cheap, like 20 bucks. And you can go there and we can wrestle with how do we answer questions that people have, my neighbor or the person I work with. And these are great things to talk about, but that frame needs to to be around a life that's going to actually draw questions out, that people are going to be impressed with. People are going to be impressed with. I want to read one more verse here, or one more little passage and it says this, as, as it kind of continues along that same paragraph. In verse 18, For Christ died for sins once for all. Isn't that amazing? Once for all. We just jump over that. But it's, it's finished. It's beautiful. Uh, Amanda, if you're in here, I was thinking maybe at the end we could sing Blessed Assurance again because I thought it really ties in with this. But um, I don't think we'll have time. So let's not do that. Um, <laughs> It is better if it's God's will to suffer for doing good. For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body and made alive by the Spirit. Now here's this crazy, this is like the craziest, I think we've got it on the board. It's the craziest verse in all of Scripture, one of them. Through whom, he was made alive by the Spirit. Through whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison who disobeyed long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. What in the world does that mean? I so did not know what that means that I, I cut it out of the sermon. So next time we talk about First Peter, we're just going to jump into that. And, and so um, same bat time, same bat channel kind of a thing. But So next time we're going to talk about... Jesus going and preaching to the spirits back from Noah's day when Noah was building the ark. Um, Steve Carell, I don't know, you maybe saw it, maybe. And, and we're going to figure out what that means because don't you love that God inspired some hard texts? Kind of, those of you that have been Christians for a long time, this is the stuff you live for because you're just bored, you know. And so you're like, man, when are we going to get to something just crazy controversial where like I can tell the pastor he's wrong and that doesn't make any sense? This is it. So come back next time and we'll figure out. That's like what I'm doing on vacation. God, what in the world does this mean? Yeah. Um, so let's go ahead and pray and leave it on that note. Come back next time. And, uh, and the band's going to come up and we're going to do the offering. Father, 
it's good to be alive. And I just pray that with this weather and the beauty that goes on, that we would just get it, that this is a taste, it's a foreshadowing, it's, it's a pointer to you. You are the source of beauty, you're the source of truth, you're the source of meaning, you're the source of adventure, and, and we get to play along in this thing, this story that you're doing. Just send us out of here with joy, no matter where we came in, no matter how hard life is, Father, I just pray that you would give us the strength to latch on to you, to turn our eyes towards you, to trust, to, the, to realize, even like James says, that we can consider our trials pure joy. That circumstances don't have to dictate our response. That our attitude can just rise above those things. Give us that strength, Father.